You're listening to Tales of the Gatekeeper, a series of short stories featuring the otherworldly and folklore. This first story is called Pre-Lieutenant, written by me, Phil Athanar, and narrated by Emma Heap. Thank you for listening. Prelude to an End As I lay with half my face buried in the grass, there are only a few things I know. I fell. The grass tickles my neck. That's it. I don't know my name or where I am. I'm not sure where I came from and where I was going. There is a ringing in my ears, and it does not stop. My body protests as I force it to sit upright. A droplet rolls over my cheek. Blood, I think, at first. But I wipe it. It's only morning dew. My lungs burn as I gasp for air. Something is off. The birds wake each other with their songs, masking the high-pitched ringing. This is a clearing in a forest. Far away from society, I assume, judging by the absence of the hum of driving cars. A scream erupts close by, so overflowing with agony it chokes my heart. It originates from a curled-up girl in the grass behind me, clutching her head like it's about to explode. I hadn't even noticed her before. I crawl over, ignoring the stiff pain of my own body, and watch helplessly as I don't know what to do. Her face is swollen red and wet with tears and snot, and then a disturbing thought hits me. It can't very well be that two people just happen to trip at the same place at the same time. Her screams dim to sobs. Instinctively, I grab her hand as soon as it falls limp against her face. The touch makes her eyes drift to mine and she composes herself. She's a bit older than me, I think. Somewhere in her mid-twenties. You all right? I ask. She wipes her face with a violet viscous scarf, the ends of it still embracing her neck. Where am I? My heart pounds louder. Why can't we remember? I don't know, I say, and suck in a breath to hold for a moment. What's your name? As the question lands, I see the answer in her eyes. They dart around as if she dropped her name in the clover patch. I don't know, she confirms softly, barely a whisper. Now that's the thing. I don't know either. My own name, I mean. Oh. Her eyes follow the dancing peacock butterflies nearby. The clearing is more like a wild garden with a colourful variety of plants and flowers. The girl's attention snaps to her elbow, and she runs her hand over her skin. Are we being experimented upon? Why would you think that? It feels like my arm has been stabbed by a needle. My fingers trace my own arm, drawing out a faint jolt once I reach the inside of my elbow. My throat dries further. Perhaps. I help her sit straight. Her whole body shivers, from pain, I assume since the temperature is actually quite pleasant. Her eyes flash over my face and light up. I'll call you Elf. You're tall and your ears are kind of pointy. I touch my ears to confirm this. Ah, you're right. A laugh escapes me, even though I don't feel like laughing. She's in pain, yet still so carefree. Hmm. In that case, I'll call you Freckles. She lets out a strained but genuine laugh. Stay here, I say, laying a hand on her shoulder. 
I'll check our surroundings. She nods. I hear a stream of water. Now she said it, I hear it too. I'll look for that first. Following the sound, I leave the clearing behind. Though I can't remember specific titles, I know from movies and books I should leave markings, so I pluck berries and draw red crosses on every other birch. The stream is shallow enough that all the stones and pebbles are clearly visible. I wash the pulp from my hands. It's an easy landmark, so I follow the flow. Cobalt blue hanging flowers bloom from plants constricting the branches of trees. Bees visit them, but I resist the temptation to touch the unknown. Seed fluff dances in the air, joining me on my journey. The end of the woods lies ahead, and the end of the stream. It looks like a cliff at first, but when I reach it, only a sea of clouds is visible below, with no bottom to the canyon. It stretches to the horizon, and shimmers in reflected sunlight. I step back and fall on my behind, a piece of land in the sky. Utterly impossible. Yet here it is. Back with Freckles, I tell her what I saw. She sits on a moss-cushioned rock, catching her breath, but no longer crying. That can't possibly be right. Her eyes frantically dart back and forth. We can go there together if you want to see it for yourself. She is silent for some time, lost in thought. Twice she opens her mouth, but closes it again before letting out the first word. After a long sigh, she looks up at the sky. I think we're better off finding food and shelter for now. Did you check the water? Is it clean? I didn't, but you're right. If this is some sort of experiment, it seems to be aimed at survival. Elf? Freckles' voice splits, falls back down her throat. I found that in the grass. She raises a finger to a spear leaning against a tree, with its stone head bound to a stick with a rope of woven grass. Is it a weapon or a tool? Who made it? No, that's not even the problem. It means we are not alone. I'll navigate. You watch our surroundings, I say, throwing a glance at the woods every other second anyway. Together we make our way to the stream. Freckles is slow, but otherwise seems to be doing good enough. She smells the water, and after it passes her first test, she brings her cupped hands to her mouth. Elf, this is drinkable. I smile and kneel to take a sip myself. The water is cool on my tongue, refreshing and pure. Something moves in the corner of my eye. Freckles yelps as she hears it behind her. The spear lays on the ground. I curse. We only let our guard down for a few seconds. An armed man approaches, a spear similar to ours in one hand. He's middle-aged, wears a suit, though ripped and dirty, and his beard slithers in all directions. Step back, he says calmly, spear aimed at me. I comply, positioning myself so I shield freckles. The man moves forward, inch by inch, with his unblinking eyes fixed on me. When he is close enough, he takes our spear from the ground in a swift motion. Just a precaution, I'm sure you understand. I nod, forcing my face neutral, or at least trying to. Who are you, and where are we? Straight to the point, I see. My stomach stirs with a disquieting sensation at his soulless smile. He continues. Nathan Hopper. We are on a floating island, 
That last part I know to be true, though it still sounds silly. I clench my fist hard enough to feel my nails digging in my skin. You remember your name? Or did you make that up? I didn't remember at first, but it came back. I don't dare look away from him, but want to see how Freckles feels about Nathan. Instead, I ask, How long have you been here? He lowers the spear slightly. Three days. How many others are there? I've encountered no one else. I frown. But... He holds up a finger. I found an abandoned camp. Signs of people that have been here before. Where? Upstream. I can take you there. In fact, I would prefer it if you came with me. I swallow the dryness from my mouth. It's not exactly optional if you hold us at spear point. Running is an option for me but that would mean leaving Freckles behind. Her warmth radiates onto my arm. She keeps close to me, depends on me. Fair enough. Nathan shrugs and hands me the other spear. I suppose I don't have another choice than giving you this back. I've not been able to solve this myself, so let's work together. He turns and waves his hand in a gesture for us to follow. Freckles whispers to me, I don't trust him. I know, me neither. Truth be told, I don't even know whether I can trust Freckles. Her vulnerable state awakens a desire to take care of her, but it says nothing about her as a person. Let's go with him for now. Is that okay with you? She moves a black strand of hair out of her face and nods. Half an hour later, we arrive at an oval lake. Huts stand at the opposite shore, and they are open enough, we can see there are no other people present. Nathan guides us there, but I keep a close eye at the woods for a possible ambush, in case he's not as alone as he claims to be. I've been thinking a lot, Nathan mumbles. Not much else to do, really. But the physics of this place don't add up according to science as we know it. The whole floating phenomenon specifically. You're a smart head, then, I say. He turns his head over his shoulder to me. A university math professor. Impressive. So, what does it mean? This place? A simulation, is my running theory. Ah, something with the simplest explanation is often the right explanation, right? He smiles, the curls of his beard twisting in different directions. Yes, something like that. The camp consists of three huts, made with woven branches and leaves. They're simplistic enough, I could have made them within a day. Inside are beds of dried grass and rabbit furs. Suddenly, a sound behind me makes me jump. It resembles a heavy backpack dropped on a beach, only it's no backpack, but a body. Freckles, lying face first in the sand. Nathan and I flash to her side. My knees dig into the sand as I hold a finger beneath her nose. She is breathing, merely unconscious. Nathan lays the back of his hand on her face. The look he gives me says enough. She has a fever. Why hadn't she said anything? She must have pushed on, one foot in front of the other, until she couldn't. Not wanting to be an inconvenience, and not wanting to fall behind. We carry her to one of the beds. I remove the spearhead from the stick and cut a piece from my striped shirt. I then drench the cloth with lake water and place it on her forehead. Nathan watches me. You're something like a doctor. What? 
No. But when I was younger, I used to take care of... my sister. It surprises me how I know this. A fragment of my identity. I remember her face. Her dimpled cheeks. Her wild, dark hair with uneven bangs because her mum wanted to save money. The stars that appeared in her eyes when she held a kitten. Nathan's staring snaps my attention back to the here and now. He gives a knowing smile and fidgets with the button on his sleeve. I began remembering things over time as well. Like what? The endless cycle of semesters and the depths of my ex-wife's pettiness. I take a long breath through my nose. Sounds like a blast. Yup. Nathan sighs and looks at Freckles. How bad is it? She hasn't been exactly in top condition since we met. But a fever like this doesn't come out of the blue. She kept it from us. Animals hide their pain as well, so they don't appear weak. I shoot him a warning look. We are not animals. I know, I just... never mind. Freckles' eyes open with a few blinks. Before I can say anything, she rasps. Sorry. Suddenly felt lightheaded is all. Try to get some sleep, I say. Nathan, can you get some food? Certainly. And he turns to leave straight away. There had been relief in his voice. Perhaps because he could help. Perhaps because he could poison us. I make a mental note to myself to not eat something I have not seen him eat first. This I also have from a movie or book, I think. Wait. Are there any more spears? In case we get attacked? He looks at me, his face composed, and he says, No, just the two. Or one now, I suppose. He walks off, and I try, unsuccessfully, to reattach the spearhead, but the rope snaps. Millions of stars reveal themselves as the world turns dark, and one of them twinkles and reminds me of a ceiling full of glow-in-the-dark stars. I focus on the image. A friend made fun of me for having them. No, not fun of me. Of my sister. She loves stars but can't go outside very often so I gifted them to her with my first pocket money. Something moves through the nearby undergrowth, and I grab hold of the spearhead. Nathan comes out with a woven grass basket. I cross the distance and look inside. Apples? I'm not much of a hunter, to be honest. It will do, thanks. I take one and cut it with the loose spearhead. Difficult, but not impossible. The first wedge I give to Nathan... He rolls his eyes and eats it. Good. Freckles is already awake when I sit down at her bedside. She takes the apple wedges and nibbles them down. Her face is wet with sweat, and she still shivers. When she's done eating, she starts to lie down but changes her mind. She says, I had a dream. I look at Nathan, who is trying to make a fire outside by rubbing two sticks. Was it a good dream? Her voice is small. I was in a hospital bed, with my mum and dad watching over me. Dad had red eyes. I wanted to speak to them, but I was too weak. That doesn't sound like a good dream. She stretches her neck, then lets out a yelp midway and arcs her back. Her hands squeeze the furs of her bed. I scream for Nathan, but he is already here. 
everything hurts, Freckles cries out between breaths. I look at Nathan with murder in my eyes. It's not the apples, I swear. I ate two of them when you were feeding Freckles, look. He pointed at the area of sand littered with the cores. Now that I think of it, I had heard him biting and chewing. I believe you, Nathan. Sorry. I'll get her some water. You do that, and I turn back to the sobbing freckles. She tries to lie down on her side, but every movement makes her cry out. I assist by letting her lean on me. It's my back, mostly. My spine, I think. Do you remember any back injury? Anything related could help. She shakes her head and digs her nails deep in my arm as she lowers herself with a whimper of pain. She pants, all her attention seemingly on breathing. Lying like this, the swelling on her upper back is visible through her damp dress. My insides turn hollow. It's the size of a fist. It wasn't there this morning. I would have noticed that. There is little fire left in her, so telling her would only be cruel. We have no tools. The best thing to do would be to let her sleep and to let her body do the work. Pray for a miracle, though I don't really believe in such a thing. Nathan, I say as I leave the hut. Thanks for your help. I'm going to sleep so I can examine her at first light. He nods. I'll keep watch then, and I'll try to carve a cup or something. We have nothing to contain water in. I pat his shoulder in approval. I wake before dawn from something that feels like an earthquake. Afraid the hut might collapse, I protect my head. But the world is steady. A nightmare, or perhaps a memory? I had slept terribly anyway because of the bumpiness of the bed. The ring in my ear persisted through the night, an endless tone that seemed to worsen when concentrated on. It is quickly off my mind as I remember the state I left Freckles in last night. I crawl outside and find Nathan sound asleep in the sand, with a rough wooden bowl next to him. I let him snore in peace as I freshen up with the surprisingly clean lake water. I then fill the bowl and take it to Freckles' hut. The morning breeze carries distant bird songs. Freckles hasn't moved at all. Her skin burns and I grow fearful for what that lump on her back looks like now. The surface of the water in the bowl trembles because of my unsteady hands. Without proper medical attention, she will die. The bowl slips from my hands and the ringing turns louder, like the screech of two microphones too close together. Memories come back like a splash of cold water in my face. My mum died some years ago. She had lost so much weight and her skin looked grey. Still, she smiled and sang songs for my sister and me. Tears drip on my arm as the memories hit me. She is gone, and if I would ever go home, she wouldn't be waiting for me with chocolate chip cookies and the newest old board game she'd found in a thrift shop. Elf, Freckles says, barely audible. How are you feeling? I try not to sound too concerned. Like my spine is about to jump out of my skin. There is a rasp to her voice, like she has difficulty breathing. I'm going to have to take a look at your back, okay? She is quiet for a moment. There's something there, isn't there? I nod. She presses her eyes closed. Very well. Carefully, I cut open her frilly dress 
since removing it normally would only be torture. The fabric sticks to her body like wet clothes tend to do, and I pull it lightly. Wails from God knows how many layers of hell echo from the open gate that is her mouth as I pull. Her skin burns underneath, a sign of festering. She cries and bites her arm hard enough she bruises herself. The poor girl. Nathan's simulation theory better be right. I need it to be. The swelling is discoloured blue and purple. A sign of blood. Internal bleeding. Nathan sits upright, suddenly wide awake. The paleness on his face suggests he thinks the same as I do. Without help, she definitely won't survive. If we still had hope, it would crush the next moment. There was already another lump growing next to this hideous thing. Nathan and I sit by the lake after Freckles passes out. It is probably better for her she isn't conscious. He plucks hairs off his suit. There is an odour of sweat around him. Probably also around me. How far have you travelled? I ask. Three streams go from the lake to the edges of this island. The southern one, where I found you, is the longest by far. I haven't explored every area, but this place isn't all that big. I took a deep breath. No hospital, then. Afraid not. Mud spaghettis through my fingers as I squeeze. Give me the bowl. I'm going to see if I can find food. Look after her, Nathan. Sooner than expected, I reached the other end of the island. Hunger hadn't come, so I wasn't all that motivated to find food. Instead, I opted to think. If this were a simulation, how could that be verified? With my feet dangling off the edge of the world, I study the intricate details of my fingertips. An image of a 3D rendered woman comes to mind. One I used to control with a keyboard. Video game character textures have painted bumps and dents in the smaller details instead of in the model itself, because complex shapes are more intensive to render. The little dunes on my fingers have real depth. If this were real and a test, though I don't cross out the simulation theory just yet, then the objective of the test appears to be survival at first glance. But perhaps it is not. The floating island could be an illusion. Perhaps down there, those aren't clouds but a giant fog machine, or even just a projection on water. Perhaps we have chips in our brains, I instantly check my neck to be sure, that messes with our perception. But why? We lost our memory, that makes the chip theory more plausible. But why specifically us? Is it a social test? Why was Nathan here earlier than us? A speck on the horizon drags me out of my head. It grows. No, comes closer. Another floating island. Its trajectory is not in line with this one, and it takes a long time for it to pass. But it passes. I can't tell if that island was moving, or this one. Or both. I head back to share this with Nathan, and fill the bowl with as many berries as I can find. Along the way is an ancient-looking apple tree with high branches. Dappled sunlight dances over the carpet of rotting fruit beneath. How had Nathan obtained those apples exactly? Then my eye catches a trampled flower. Behind that a bush with low leaves and something familiar pointing out. I drop to my heels and move and leaf aside. It is a spear. A third spear.
Nathan lied. I arrive back at the camp to find Nathan cursing, standing in the lake where the water reaches his knees. He is undressed above the waist and bends awkwardly to observe his own reflection. The problem is obvious. He has red, swollen skin on his back. There you are, he yells. That girl infected me. Calm down, I say, though my own heart started pounding against my ribs. What if the real world is overrun with a virus and we are test subjects? Or we might be in a testing program for a biological weapon? That is your fear speaking. Wait until you get sick. That is likely to happen considering this. He points his thumbs at his back. Stop whining. With that, I stepped to Freckles's hut. Freaking out like that, he surely hadn't cared for her. A mix of sweat, iron and piss burns my nostrils. I bend over her still body, already expecting the worst. Only then I see the blood pooling beneath her. Something sticks into her back, and I begin shaking. Nathan must have punctured the swelling to learn more about his own condition. I trusted him with her, and now this happened. The bloody thing in her back twitches and I yelp. It bends like a spider's leg, but larger, thicker. What in God's name? Nathan mutters behind me. Nasty, nasty, nasty! He hadn't stabbed her. That thing comes out of her body. It is part of her somehow. And there is still the other swelling. I now see it. All of it. Wings, I said breathlessly, not entirely convinced myself. That's a wing. It's wet with blood. But look, those are feather shafts. Nathan looks at me open-mouthed. We're part of a human modification program. They are messing with our DNA. That must be why our memory has faded. Oh God, oh God. No, I bend my arms to feel my upper back. Something lay beneath my skin. It had annoyed me in my sleep last night, but I brushed it off as a bump in the bed. We grow wings, and are in a land above the clouds. We're turning into angels. The realization clicks once the words are out of my mouth and leave me breathless. That's what they want you to think. I'm not even baptized. My hands press my ears closed, trying to stop the ringing, but I only hear it more clearly. Freckles is alive. We need to clean her wounds. I don't wait for him to respond. I grab the sticks Nathan used to make fire and start rubbing them together again and again. Nathan stands next to me. You're doing it wrong. You do it then. We need to boil water to disinfect the cloth. And what in God's name are you going to boil water in? We will die, elf. The sticks clatter on the ground. We have no can or kettle or anything like that. Letting it bleed is probably better than wiping it with a bacteria-drenched thing. There is nothing we can do. Burning the wound would also work, but I don't trust myself and my barely existent medical skills to do it right. I can't help her. I can't help myself. The ring in my ears overwhelms me, becomes all I hear and all there is. The ring and the darkness. Marcella, an angelic voice says. It is familiar, like I've known it all my life. You need to wake up. My eyes open. The sun warms my skin. A new day.
Sand moves through my fingers as I shift my arm. A constant pain radiates from my back, but I have no time to check how bad it is. Nathan leans over Freckles' body. For a heartbeat I think she is dead, but her chest moves up and down slowly. She is lying on her side, with one of the wings folded over her shoulder, the rim reaching the ground. New feathers seem to have grown, white and clean. A glisten summons my attention to Nathan's hand and the sharp stone he holds. I stand up, biting through the sharp pain that shoots through every inch of my body. With a scream I startle Nathan and use the moment of surprise to reach the hut. He defends and reflex, backing off from freckles and holding the stone in front of him. She's dying, Elf. And that justifies what you were about to do. Back off, Elf. You need to hear me out. I step before the threshold. He is sweaty and shivering. His condition is worse than mine. Elf, just look at that. I have been thinking of your theory. He points at the wing, but I don't look. No way am I taking my eyes off Nathan. It's improbable, to my knowledge impossible, but between heaven, a simulation and biohacking, two of these options suggest death is impossible. Actual death, I mean. If we're in a simulation, we were never truly here to begin with. If this is heaven, well, with all due respect, then we're already dead. And if we've been biohacked, it might be better to release her from her pain before she turns all T-Rex or something. She is dying, or at least appears to be so, and we cannot save her. However, with some more information, we might be able to save ourselves. We are barely able to care for ourselves right now, let alone if we wait another few hours until she dies. We can end her suffering and simultaneously learn whether she can actually die or not. Bile creeps into my mouth while my mind spins. Are you insane? We are not going to slit her throat just to see if she can die or not. He jumps at me, out of the blue. It all happens so fast. The world tilts, and it is as if I fall in lava when my back hits the ground. It hurts so much my vision turns white. I push and squirm, but I can't get him off me. He raises an arm. He has the stone there. He is going to kill me if I don't do something fast. But I am pinned to the ground. I only have a second. One action to take before my life is forfeit. A second that is drawn into a short eternity by primal survival instinct. I reach up and pull on the sticky stump on his back. The scream that follows is one of the deepest agony similar to the paralyzing pain I feel myself. His hand comes down still, though less coordinated, and a wet stream comes from my collarbone. I can't even feel the cut. I pull harder until the nasty thing in my hand snaps on the inside. He tries to turn, but instead falls down, unconscious. I roll him off me, and he wakes with a scream when his open wounds are filled with sand. I crawl and crawl and crawl trying to get away as fast as possible, but unable to stand. My vision is blurry. Tears, I realise. What do I do? The sand behind me crunches. Footsteps. I come across a stone that barely fits in my fist, and in one swift motion, I hurl it at Nathan. By luck, or divine blessing, I hit him in the face, and he collapses. I don't know how long I sit there not bothering to wipe the tears, staring at the heap that is Nathan, 
face down in the dirt, two ruffled little wings atop his body, one of which twitching, grey of colour, not white like Freckles's, a dark grey, like the clouds were on a day I lay on the asphalt in pain. I had prayed for the rain to come, just so it might cool my body. Glass surrounded me, glass from my car's window. Nathan's broken wing jerks one last time, and then it stops. Dead or not, for the moment, he won't be a threat. As the adrenaline fades, the pain sharpens. I lay down on my stomach to rest. Just for a little while, I tell myself. I already know it's a lie. Marcella, please hang in there, the angelic voice says. But I am tired. Too tired. Fighting it will only postpone my end. The suffering won't stop. I feel a hand linking up with mine, and a calling urging me into the light. The world trembles as I wake, similar to an earthquake, except it is only me, and I feel another hand on my shoulder. Elf, elf, please. I manage to open my eyes, to look up to the beautiful angel with a face full of freckles. She's gold in the sunset. My name is Marcella, I say with a dry voice. She lights up with a smile. I'm Akari. Let me help you up. All I can do is nod. Her wings have grown so much they frame her graciously. She seems to be doing perfectly fine. Maybe she has died. Maybe this is heaven. A grunt draws our attention to the heap of Nathan. His hand moves. Alive, then. Alive. And probably very pissed at me. Oh, God. Freck, Akari. He tried to... My lungs contract in a cough. Attack you? It was more than just attack me, but I nod so she's on her guard. I search around for more stones to throw, until Akari nudges me with an elbow. I follow her gaze to Nathan, and the glowing ring that slowly materialises above his head. A halo, like in the pictures and stories. But they always said only good people would go to heaven, and Nathan had tried to freaking murder me. Or did that not count, considering we are above the clouds already? Akari, why don't you have a halo? I remember what happened. It all came back in the fever dreams. We are not dead, Marcella. Not yet. Nathan gets off the ground with remarkable ease and stretches his shoulders and back, accompanied by awkward movements of his wings. He looks at us. Well, well, you were right. Luckily for me, I'm fairly sure I can't die twice. He grabs the sharp stone from the ground. I intend to throw my stones, but Akari grabs my hand. Run. Each step, the pain pulsates. Trees and bushes flash by. I can't even hear if we're being followed over my own breathing and footsteps. I just know I shouldn't stop. I don't stop. Until I trip. I never hit the ground. Instead, Akari sweeps me up in her arms as she spreads her majestic wings. One beat of her wings flattens the grass and hurls us up. Though, judging by the rustling and the hiccup in our movement, she's hit the tree's crown. We hold on to each other for dear life as she desperately tries to stabilise our trajectory. And once the ground comes near, she folds her wings. So we roll cocooned, quickly coming to a stop. 
Warm light filters through her feathers and onto her face. On her eyes, as she opens them, we exchange a smile. A shared breath of peace and quiet, which I want to last forever. But I hear Nathan approach. Akari folds her wings awkwardly, and I now see we are on the edge of the island. We get to our feet just as Nathan comes out of the shadows. There is nowhere for you to go. You killed me, Elf. It is only fair I do the same to you. With a war cry, he again charges at me and doesn't slow down. Akari jumps in between, but to no avail. A moment later, all three of us tumble over the edge of the world. The wind deafens me as the clouds come closer. What would be beneath them? Hell? Earth? Eternal torture or haunting abandoned buildings? Nathan's pathetic wings beat violently, but only manage to slow his fall. Akari, on the other hand, folds both of hers and deep dives toward me. Her hand is outstretched, desperate to cross the distance. It reminds me of my sister, running after me in the hospital while I lay in bed, pushed through the hallway with haste. That was the last moment I was awake. I don't have a halo. I don't even have wings. Yet. I can hear my heartbeat. No, the equipment that monitors my heartbeat. I'm alive, but not conscious. In a coma. Akari catches me and stretches her wings. All the air is pushed out of my lungs by the abrupt change in motion. She flutters up with great difficulty. We pass Nathan, who is desperately beating his wings. They are too small to carry him, even if one isn't broken. He will discover what lies beneath the clouds, alone. Akari and I land back safely on our island. I let her catch a breath, while I watch Nathan fade out of view. Marcella, the angelic voice says. It's my sister. She wraps her fingers around mine again. I feel it, though I can't see it. What I can see is the ground, through my slightly translucent hand. I turned to Akari. I was in a car crash, but I survived. And I think I am returning. She looks at me and nods. I feel the calling too, and I hear my parents. They are considering pulling the plug. I see. Well, what are you waiting for? I force a smile. I want her to live, but I'm also not ready to say goodbye. She looks to the horizon. Another island floats there, distantly. I'm not sure if I want to return. My head aches. I have them because there is a tumour in my head. I am very sick. Recovery would take ages. And here, in this place, I could spread my wings and be free of pain. I could fly to other islands. Maybe find my grandma. I take a moment to process her words and press a kiss to her forehead. Akari, you can also live out your life. Maybe be positively surprised. There are people, your parents, who care about you. And when times turn dark, perhaps you might find relief in the knowledge there is life after death. She looks at her hands and slowly they turn translucent. She lets out a long sigh. <sighs> All right. Her eyes find mine and she smiles. She presses a shy kiss to my lips and says, All flustered. 
I will look for you. The world seems to fill with light as it fades. The last thing I see is the surprised look on her face. I'm disappearing, my consciousness returning to my mortal body. A beep accompanies my heartbeat. It slowly increases, drawing the attention from my sister. My body is numbed with painkillers, and I can't think clearly. I hear her call the nurses distantly, as if I'm watching this from a distance. I try to speak, but a tube sticks into my nose and my mouth is dry, so the only thing that comes out is a groan. Slowly, I ebb into a waking state. They run tests and insist I rest until finally the day comes they fire me from the hospital. I'm in a wheelchair for the time being, but I will walk again. My sister pushes me through the hallways, but pauses to thank a doctor. Meanwhile, my attention is drawn to the open door, and the girl in the bed in that room. She's bald, but pretty with all her freckles. She reminds me of someone, but I can't quite place it. Then my sister continues to push me to the car, and the girl fades from my mind. Though, sometimes, I dream of her, and in my dreams... She's this angelic figure with beautiful wings, and I hope she's doing all right. Thank you for listening to Prelude to an End. Thank you for listening. 